Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm back uh, doing another podcast at the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams first, which is taking place first time in Dublin. And today I have on the podcast Maddie Stone, who works with uh, with Google on Project, on Project Zero. How is it going, Maddie? It's going well. Thank you for having me. No problem. So first of all, you guys are involved with, Google, with uh, Project Zero and Google. Let's tell people what Project Zero is. They haven't heard of it. So Project Zero, we're an applied security research team, and our whole mission is to make zero-day hard, where zero-day exploits are those exploits um, that are going after a vulnerability that defenders don't yet know about. So there's no patches available for them, no antivirus signatures. We don't know that that mistake exists, and that's what the attackers. And so that's a tough thing to find because you don't know what you're looking for. And these are exploits that are generally used by nation-state attackers for some of their most high-value targets, such as minoritized populations, human rights defenders, journalists, etc. Um, and so we care a lot about these because even if most individuals on the planet or most organizations and entities don't necessarily have to be worried about being individually targeted with zero-day exploits, these are the exploits that really have societal impact yeah. and outsized impact. Um, very hard, making it more difficult to find and exploit these bugs across generally, you know, any popular consumer and also some enterprise products, not just Google products. Um, most of the team focuses on offensive security research. Yeah. So finding vulnerabilities in Android, Windows, Apple iOS, um, Chromium, Firefox, yeah. etc. So anything with large populations of users globally looking for what these mistakes are because the goal is to have bug collisions meaning we're finding the same bugs as attackers may be finding but then we get them fixed and then publish all about them (coughs) that must be fun doing that going through and finding vulnerabilities yeah i mean i love puzzles and it's always a giant puzzle that we're looking for a finding you know the needle in the haystack yeah, and I find as well that sometimes you might find zero day exploit in a product that isn't used much, but you still go and pop size it because you figure it's gotta be it's gotta be patched. So we tend to prioritize only products that have use because there's way more of those bugs already than yeah. there are members of the team. So it doesn't happen very often that we're finding things in rarely used products just because that's not where we focus most of our research. We're really trying to focus on the products where we can have an impact. So things that have security teams, because if a product doesn't even have a security team, then it's likely they can't even act yet on a vulnerability report. And so there's a lot of more steps that they probably need to do to mature as a security organization before, um, we start trying to develop exploits and focus on um, yeah. vulnerability research. We use, I mean, like an older version of Windows that no longer is no longer officially supported. That's what I'm talking about. Rather than say uh, a mobile phone that might sell a thousand a thousand versions a year, I'm talking about a, basically somebody's got Windows 
maybe Windows 7 in the system still when they shouldn't have? Yeah, so we particularly don't focus on those because yeah. in those cases, you can use what's known as an in-day exploit. Yeah. You exploit it, and it doesn't have to be zero-day. You can use known publicized vulnerabilities because they're not receiving patches for those yeah. old operating systems. Um, so there's a lot of other you know, security concerns of using products that are not supported in that way. And what has been your most interesting find when you were doing this? So product that you uh, so product or service you found had a bug that you enjoyed trying to fix? Um, I don't know. So I have a little bit role than the rest of my team members because I actually focus on and lead a program focused on the zero days that are actively exploited in yeah. the wild rather than um, sort of doing research on the hypothetical vulnerabilities that could be exploited. Yeah. So a lot of my work actually goes in the reverse of detecting these zero days that are being actively used and then taking them apart, figuring out what's the vulnerability, what's the exploit technique, and then how do we get better as defenders, find system or structural improvements, systemic hardening types of things to prevent these cases in the future. Yeah. So I do a lot of variance analysis, meaning if the I now understand this bug that was actively exploited in the wild. Most vuln researchers, we don't find just one bug at a time. Usually if you find that one pattern somewhere, it exists elsewhere in the um, product. So a lot of my work is figuring out what's that bug that was actively exploited and then applying that to see, okay, if the attackers found this, what other bugs do they likely have um, to get those fixed as well um, so they yeah. can't just plug and play. And also, I guess, you're finding, if you find a, a, a bug, uh, you're thinking, well, th this bug causes the X to happen. What else can cause X to happen as well? Exactly. Um, so mo today, most um, sort of what we call full chain capabilities require two to three zero-day exploits. Yeah. So, you know, attackers, when they're thinking of what they want and need, they're not like, oh, I need three different zero-days chained together. Um, and that's not their starting point. Yeah. They're starting with, I want a capability that allows me to get remote access on someone's phone via them clicking a link. Um, or something like that. Yeah. So in that case, that would require first the render remote code execution in the browser, then the browser sandbox escape, and then the phone or operating system's local privilege escalation. So getting all three of those vulnerabilities together and chaining them. And that must be at times difficult to find. Um, finding the vulnerabilities or yeah. finding the exploits in a while? Because both, both are hard, yes. Yeah. Um, and that is a testament to improvements in security since years ago. The fact that there's more app sandboxing, there's more um, security boundaries put into devices, which means that attackers need more zero-day vulnerabilities yeah. to be able to um, remotely own a device or get whatever sort of privileges they want. So how do you go about, how do you go about deciding where you're going to research today for zero-day vulnerability? So it's, they really highly trust us on the team to prioritize um, what we think is necessary and needed or a gap. Yeah. Um, so for example, I've spent the last few months looking at WebKit, which is Safari. Yeah. WebKit is the name of their open source um, project. And so, and that was largely because last year was the first year that Apple was 
um, actually publicly labeling when a vulnerability was known to be in the wild. So suddenly we had samples to look at yeah. of, okay, this is a safari in the wild zero day. And I actually had never looked at safari before or WebKit, so it seemed like a good chance for me to get up to speed and understand that platform more as well. Yeah. Um, so I dove into quite a few of those in the wild zero days, worked on fuzzing it, um, and just overall understanding more about that platform. And so that was how I sort of selected that. Yeah, because I, I, maybe I'm assuming basically you might see somebody launch a, a new product. You think, we're going to go and see if that product has any vulnerabilities. Yeah, and it's, but in most of us on the team tend to have our areas where we specialize. Yeah. Um, so, for example, James Forshaw and Mateusz both tend to focus on Windows, yeah. um, with James focusing on logic bugs and Mateusz generally focusing on fuzzing and automated solutions. We have Sergey focusing on Chromium for over the past decade and Ian Beer focusing on iOS. So while all those lines can be blurred and people jump in and do a little bit of a different project, we all sort of have our expertise um, and areas that we tend to focus on. I'm thinking as well, say for example, there's a product that's, that, that is launched that works on Windows and on Mac, and you find a flaw in the in the Windows and Mac, Mac version, are you going to go and check and make sure the flaw is in the other version as well? Um, so, I guess it depends on what type of product you're talking about. If it is a library or a product, you know, that runs on both, then we would generally report the vulnerability to that product security yeah. team, not to either Mac or Windows. And it's really their job then to ensure that they get all places that vulnerability exists. Because yeah. we've highlighted it, and then they need to make sure it's completely um, correctly and comprehensively patched. Yeah, because I like the way when you guys uh, uh, do this, you might find a flaw and give them three or four months before you say, right, we're giving you three or four months to fix this. Hasn't been fixed. We're going to fix it by this date or publicly announce that we're going to announce it to the world. And I kind of, in a way, it's good blackmail because it makes them do their job properly. Well, I don't think it's blackmail. And we do have a solid deadline. It's, it is just understanding the realities yeah. of users are targeted by this. Users can be harmed. Like We're talking about nation state generally adversaries going after journalists and human rights defenders. That this is not just some, oh you know, they're going to take some money or change my email or so send some scam. Like, people's sort of physical well-being is also at risk yeah. with these days. So if we do not know that a vulnerability is actively exploited in the wild, then we give 90 days for a fix, so three months. Um, and that has been true generally since the beginning of our team in mid-2014. Um, and if it's not fixed by that date, then yes, we go public because... At this point, really, all vendors should be able to fix a vulnerability within three months. So so much as customers and users of our lives are on this device, that to yeah. sit on the vulnerability in a hole that you know exists there for longer, um, just we should expect more out of vendors than that. Yeah, because I don't like it. If, you're, if you buy a product from a well-known vendor, you're assuming that when you buy a product, you want something that's safe and secure. And suddenly you're realizing it's not really because... They're not, they're not, uh, haven't been proper tested or patched properly. And then you guys find out there's a flaw. I'm thinking, well, why did it pay to use products when uh, the flaw could have been there when you didn't know about it? It's kind of strange. I mean, there will always be flaws. And yeah. so, you know, it is hard to write 
software and especially for a lot of security and developer teams, there's systemic issues that really need to be addressed as well of most security teams don't get the resources and time they need to really be able to influence developer teams and features um, previously. You know, it's usually still incentive structures focus on um, promoting and rewarding the people in in tech companies who are creating new features, not the ones who are taking a step back and deleting code because it's insecure or unnecessary and showing mm-hmm. a attack surface. So I think it's always important um, while pushing them to do better to also remember that a lot of these security teams, you know, have been yelling these same things from the rooftops and are just trying to get the resources needed to be able to make some of these changes as well. Imagine a time you could have been working in a company and you tell them there's a flaw here and there and, and, and they're asked, what are the chances of that flaw actually becoming reality? And it was say 20%. They said, no, nah, we're not going to worry about that because it's not important. Whereas you guys are more just telling them actually every flow is important and no matter what the cost is, you got to put the money into it. Yeah, so I mean, we will only report bugs and it's a sort of line we have for ourselves that we can show are exploitable in some way because there are bugs that thanks to mitigations um, and improvements in security, the vulnerability exists, but it's no longer exploitable. That's a great place to be because sure, there's the mistake there, but the attacker can't do anything with it, even if they find that bug. So we do have that level for ourselves. Um, if If we're going to apply a deadline, that means... We know how to trigger it and therefore can show exploitability. Um, And so that's where, you know, we also understand the constraints put on vendors and are like not really reporting bugs that we, we only report bugs that we think are important to get fixed in that way. Because if you find a minor bug that, for example, might change capital letters to small letters, you're thinking, okay, is that really going to affect things? Maybe not. But a bug that can actually change the into 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 another foreign language or change a script to, makes it basically harder to use. That's something I might look at more so. So neither of those necessarily for us would be considered security bugs. Yeah. Um, unless in order to change the script, they got remote code execution, you know, and could do something much more severe than uh, just change the language. Yeah. So we're really focused on what are those bugs that could be chained together to basically, you know, in, an example would be um, installing surveillanceware or spyware yeah. on someone's device, you know, being able to tell their device to take photos, take all of their um, messaging conversations, their contacts, things yeah. like that. Those are the types of bugs that we're focused on and what we're trying to prevent and make that much harder to do. So I guess in the old days, I might have been a key logger. But now it's something else is doing that, that kind of job. Yeah, and so that's really where sometimes people want to use number of zero days um, found or exploits to judge the security of the product, yeah. which I will always fight hard against for a multitude of different reasons. But one of them is that attackers only use zero days when less sophisticated attack methods won't work. Because a zero day is generally the most expensive, most valued type of attack they can have. And thus, if you can just get the user to click a phishing link and it will install a key logger, there's no reason to burn your zero day on that. 
So the fact that attackers are using zero days for a product does mean that for some reason, you know, whatever has been done, the easier attack surfaces, the in-day exploitation, the phishing, the installing malware won't work anymore. And when you, I'm also thinking of like, if someone uses an OS or a browser like Safari, which isn't as popular as, as Chrome or Edge, are they, is there still issues with, uh, that you look at that, or is it basically, do attackers just go for the most popular browser or product or software? No, so I mean, there's been um, zero days found for Firefox, for yeah. Safari. It's who are you trying to target? And a lot of times these surveillance shops who are currently building some of these capabilities and selling to the nation state um governments, you know, they're going to sort of cover their bases and have options on their sales sheet for, do you need an iOS capability? Do you want to go through WhatsApp? Do yeah. you um, want to go through Safari on Mac OS or Safari on iOS or um, Chrome on Android or Chrome on desktop? So it's sort of a sales sheet of them covering their bases for who may be the likely targets that their customers will want to go after. Yeah, because I'm thinking, for example, if the majority of computers in the world in a business environment are running in Windows, why would you spend a lot of money and effort on, on Mac when it's hardly been used? Because the I think it's important to remember sort of the use case is so different than these large sort of crime or criminal types of security yeah. campaigns who are just trying to get as many people as possible or ransomware. Um, in the zero-day case, even when it's more widespread, it's still like a specific minoritized population they're yeah. going after. It's not, we're trying to get as many people as possible. It's, we want to get these people. And thus, it's not so much what is popular globally. It's popular of the people we're trying to target. And have you found a lot of, of these Zerd exploits been, been done from like Russia or North Korea, for example? So I don't... A lot of times we don't really have any sort of attribution, and I am also not a threat intel yeah. person. I am a vulnerability and exploit dev and reverse engineer. Um, and so a lot of the in the wild exploits, there's not a lot of context given. And that's where we could really, as an industry, you know, it's hard and it's um, to keep pushing for the transparency, especially when for so long that's the type of information that companies or other security companies will hold close to the vest yeah. and not share. So a lot of my research of zero days in the wild is when a vendor will label a vulnerability in their security release notes. There's no actual sample yeah. um, of the exploit for me to analyze. Instead, I'm looking at the patch diff, meaning what was the old vulnerable version and what does the code look like in their new vulnerable or their newly patched version and then differing what the changes are and going through the puzzle of trying to figure out then what the vulnerability might have been. Yeah. So with that, like you really have no context of how this may have been used or who was using it or things like that. And do you ever go on the dark web to look for, for, for uh, products been sold there? That could be I nice. don't uh, particularly, again, <laughs> I yeah. study vulnerabilities and look at a lot of assembly code um, most of the day, but I'm sure that's what threat intel teams are focused on. Yeah, because I've seen over the years a lot of people say, like, oh, if I want to buy something, a, a, a vulnerability, I'll go onto a forum on the dark web and say, I'm looking for a product that can do X, Y, and Z, and then they'll go, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll build that product that can do that for you. So I'm wondering if any of your team would actually go on there and look, look for that. 
Project Zero, that's not really an R scape. And from what we know of these zero-day capabilities, there are a lot of times, and Citizen Lab and Amnesty International has done a lot of great recording over the years of naming some of the commercial surveillance vendors who are selling to these governments who are then using them against their populations. Yeah. And also, getting back to the, uh, to the the first conference, what would you talk about? My talk is about what zero days we've seen in the wild so far in 2022. So what are the lessons we can take away from them? There have been 18 so far as of June 15th that have been detected and disclosed as in the wild. And so the big takeaway that I have is that zero day really isn't actually that hard right now. It's these aren't these mythical, sophisticated exploits that no one could possibly find. 50% of the ones we've seen so far are variants of previously patched bones. Yeah. So the previously patched bugs were not correctly or comprehensively patched, and attackers came back and were able to use it as a zero-day capability. For me, I'm thinking of something like maybe Microsoft Windows. Whenever they introduce a, a, a patch for like Windows 11, that bug could be there in Windows 10 and Windows 8 as well because they're probably using some of the same code. Yeah, I mean, all that's an issue that all vendors, yeah. you know, sort of face is, um, and they're usually pretty good. Like when you look at a CVE, if on Microsoft Security Update, you'll generally see that they will say that it was patched in many operating systems and not just a single one yeah. or... Um, Android and iOS, you know, as well do things as that. So they're pretty good. You know, there are cases that always come out of someone's like, hey, this actually exists on this version, but y'all didn't patch that. Um, but I would say that's a little bit rarer, and it tends to be the majority of time they do get the versions correct. It's just not understanding the root cause vulnerability yeah. and maybe patching to break the exploit or the trigger or proof of concept instead of patching and fixing that root cause. So you patch this method to hit the vulnerability, but because you only patched it over here, yeah. you don't fix it so someone can come in and um, still trigger the vulnerability just through a different way. Right. Now you also you mentioned you, you found that there was 18 different vulnerabilities this year. How many of those were very serious? Well, they're all being used to exploit folks in the wild as they are today. So to me, all of those are serious because... That's putting users and entities in harm's way. Yeah. Uh, you know, these zero days, as we said, aren't generally used against a general population. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I focus on them is because I think they're all serious. Well, to me, I'm, I'm thinking of more or less which are doing the most damage. That's in serious. I don't think those are things we can necessarily know just because, as I said before, yeah. zero days... It's not so much damage in terms of number of people hit. It's who are you getting and how is then that and then influencing society? So are you suddenly targeting all these journalists in a certain country and now they're scared to keep publishing about yeah. something? Or have you targeted human rights defenders and so now people are scared to talk or you've changed data in a government or politics or critical infrastructure. So since we don't have all of that context of how exactly is the zero day used, it's very hard to judge. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess, you might know who the end user, user of a certain product is, so you can't assume, because if a product is used a lot by, by, by education authorities, that's going to be a problem. You just don't know who the end user is, so you're assuming that every threat is a major threat. 
it's if it's a zero day, yeah, yeah, um, yeah we're not focusing on like in day exploitation or things like that. Yeah, because I was I was thinking, for example, if somebody was uh, using a, a certain product, like say Microsoft Office or a version or something like that, I'd assume that's got a lot of users. But in some cases, it doesn't matter how many users you have. It's basically it, it, it's it's still a problem because you can have a product that has maybe a thousand users or a million users, but a thousand users could just be damaging a million users. But you, you, again, you don't know who the users are, so you got to three each threat the exact same. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because you can't different. You, you can't sit there and spend time differentiating between threat one and threat two. You assume, hold on, zero to exploit. That's a threat. No matter no matter what it is, it's still a threat. We have to fix it. Yeah, if a zero day is being exploited in the wild, we use a seven-day deadline instead of the 90-day deadline because people are at risk, and even if you do not fix it within those seven days, people deserve to know that there's active exploitation ongoing because then they can make choices for themselves even if a patch is not available. Yeah, and I'm glad now with you guys, because you've kind of made it more open to do to, 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 to announce these, in the past, people were afraid if we now have to get a vulnerability, People aren't going to use our product anymore. But I'm thinking, well, if you do announce it, people are more inclined to use you because you've been honest and brave and said, we've got a flaw, we fixed it, this is what the flaw was. And you're helping to do that, which is good. That's the goal. Yeah, because... Um, yeah. I'm sorry, but I have to go yeah, to my talk. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Thanks, thanks for that. Uh, Maddie and I, uh, have a great day and safe trip back to America. Thank you very thanks. much. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.